0: Welcome back. Richard, you're, you're you're back in a dark room in a different space for today's podcast, but it's good to well, see you. Well,
1: you know, a little variety. That's right. It's end of the month variety. That's right. You know, it's close to the end of the month again. I,
0: yeah. This I mean, we're like
1: days away from October.
0: This is the last podcast for September. So yeah, the next one will be October 3rd. I can't.
1: I mean, they're just flying by again.
0: Yes, they are. And, um, and it seems like I know that everybody feels busier and busier every day. Uh, there's just so many things right. going on, so many things to do. And um, yeah, so, but it's good to see you.
1: Now, we talked about worrying about the. Remember a few months ago, it seemed like just yesterday, we were worried about the start of school
0: right.
1: and having all the kids return to school. And now we're close to having, we're just weeks away from the first nine weeks being over.
0: Yep. You know, it, just, uh, it's it's flying. It's flying by, yeah. Mm-hmm. But today we're going so what's, to. Talk, what's today's topic? Well, we're going to talk about thoughts and feelings a little bit today, okay. um, and and you know this this kind of comes from a, a couple of different places. Um, you know, we were recently asked to to write a book chapter um, for a for the best practices in school neuropsychology. Uh, it's going to be a page turner for everybody who listens to this podcast. Um, um, but uh, what, it's a, the book is or the podcast is the, the book. The book is a right. Yeah, it, but it's, it's real specific to um, school psychologists and and talking about different ways to evaluate. Um, but we're, we in the book we're writing the chapter on emotional disorders, emotional right. abilities. Um, but also because this is an issue and topic that we discuss with our patients many times, um, and that is um, about thoughts and feelings and how they relate to our mood and everything else that's going on in our lives.
1: Right. Yeah. When we were um, first talking about the book chapter, because as you see, our topic was emotional disorders. And it, it was immediately evident that the first thing we'd have to do before we talked about evaluating emotions is, is, is defining them. You know, what, what are we talking about when we talk about emotions? And at first you think, well, that's a simple enough thing. Emotions are these things. Well, there's a great deal of controversy. Yeah. Um in fact it's a, it's over a hundred years old. Right. The controversy between emotions and feelings and thoughts and which ones come first and you know what what exactly is an emotion and what exactly is a feeling and are emotions and feelings the same things? Um so the we knew that we'd have to sort through all that. And and the same thing happened here is we knew that we'd have to sort through it. So that's where we want to begin is trying to um to differentiate uh feelings and emotions. Um and so, and the other thing was, um, why do some, why do we have trouble managing our emotions? You know, what, what are they and why do we, some people occasionally have trouble managing their emotions. Other people have chronic problems in managing their emotions. It's like their emotions take over. And why does that happen? And what, and finally, what should we do about it? Right. Okay.
0: So we're going to, the goal of the podcast today is to kind of do two things. One is to sort of differentiate between some of these things. Because we, people tend to, to sort of um, interchange the words, thoughts, and feelings, and emotions and use them right. interchangeably like, like they all mean the same thing. And right. so we're going to differentiate them just a little bit. And, and then we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, some some ideas on how to best manage them. Right. Right. So,
1: right, and we found this one little article um, called "and uh, what is the difference that explains these differences," right. and there is a link in the show notes to that particular article. Right. And um, if you go through the if you go through chapters and articles and explanations by different people, everybody sort of has a different take on what the a different definition okay. of what these things are, and <clears throat> it's. um, it's challenging just to get definitions that sort of make sense mm-hmm. f- to us, okay? Right. And so this particular writer, her name is Laura Gemme, G-E-M-M-E, um, differentiates emotions from feelings and feelings from thoughts. Right. And I think it's, a, it's sort of a useful way of, uh, so, so not the only way, but it's a useful way of differentiating emotions, feelings, and thoughts.
0: Right. So we'll start with e- emotions and, and the way that um, she describes emotions. She, she describes them as the, as physical reactions, either to things right. going on in our in, in, environment um, that are sort of external to our body or things that are going on inside our body. Um, right. You know, there, there are many things besides even besides thoughts, which we'll talk about in just a second. There are many things that happen within our body that affects our emotions. Um, right. You know, if you have an upset stomach, if you have a headache, if, you ha- if you're hungry, you know, a lot of those things can be internal, but affect and ha- have an impact on our emotions.
1: Right. And in fact, one writer, when, when he, he said only that emotions are chemical releases, right. it, it has nothing to do with, it's just a biological event that occurs in your brain or body. And he says emotions are just chemical, chemical releases. It's a release of chemicals. Okay? Right. And so you can see immediately that there's something just biological, uh, instinctual, uh, obligatory about emotions. They, they just get released. And not the emotion. The chemical gets released.
0: Right. And, and in that way, emotions are often referred to as, um, as precognitive Right. That's right. That's right. Um, so what we mean by that is um, they are, as you said, they are these chemical releases that happen without you having to think about it. Right. Um, they just happen. And right. once they occur, we, and we, and we have that sensation of those that release of chemicals, because we would, we would experience that. We would feel that um, by either um, you know, something, oftentimes something changes in the way that our body Mm -hmm. is behaving. Um, You know, if if you have a panic attack, for example, those chemicals are flooded into your system and you might freeze and suddenly you can't move. It's not because Mm -hmm. you're deciding not to move. It's because you are unable to move. The chemicals make it right. Mm -hmm. Right. And so once those, once we have that physiological experience, we interpret that. We, we internally in our, um, in our minds, I suppose, We process what that feeling is like, and then we assign it a name. That's right. And we name it. Right. Name Mm -hmm. that we assign it is called a feeling.
1: Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah, because we're constantly, our bodies are constantly being um, impinged on, uh, affected constantly by something in the outside environment, the things that we see or hear or smell or feel and also from our internal environment we have aches and pains and memories okay so there's stuff that comes internally and affects us there's stuff that comes from our environment that affects us right. and all of those things cause a chemical release and the right. chemical release is emotions right once the emotion gets produced once once the feeling occurs mm-hmm. then we name that we identify it oh this is fear oh this is anger oh this is um this is um love this is kind it, and it's the naming it that occurs at a conscious level right so as you say emotions are subconscious whereas feelings occur at a conscious level it's our brain doing something interpreting something
0: and, and if you think about the way that we because we we've often talked to here on the podcast about how important vocabulary is we use words to describe that because we say i feel anxious right well, what you're saying is that the sensations that I'm feeling in my body, I'm mm. interpreting those as anxious. And so I right. feel anxious.
1: Right. And, I'm, uh, and I'm pretty sure everybody feels this way when they feel anxious. Right. You know, We're reasonably sure that we all feel the same way. Right. But now, this is a problem with young children. Right. Because young children don't have the vocabulary mm-hmm. to label their emotions accurately. Right. And that's why they often make mistakes when they react to things happening to them because they're misidentifying the emotion. And this is
0: especially the case with boys, young boys, mm-hmm. yes. because boys are often taught um, either directly or indirectly mm-hmm. that only certain emotions, certain feelings are acceptable. Right. That's right. Um, and, and so if they, f- if they experience something s- different, mm-hmm. um, that is often squashed or uh, redirected pretty quickly, or what happens is um the vocabulary that they use or the, or the labeling of those feelings um, is often done incorrectly. You look angry. Um, You must be angry. You need to stop being angry. You need to. And and so now whatever it is that that child is feeling at the time, they're going to label that as anger, even if it's sadness, even (laughs) if it's disappointment, even if it's fear, they're going to label it as anger and, um, and then that's going to be how they then process those feelings, mm-hmm. the, the physiological response to those emotions. That's how they're going to label that from then on. Right.
1: And so, so this, this idea of naming the emotion and naming it accurately is absolutely critical right. to, to doing something about it. And the third thing are thoughts. Right. And, and thoughts sort of, it's our thoughts that shape our feelings, that, that help us understand and name the feelings. Um, Thoughts come from um, our our background, our temperament, our cultural background, our family background, our religious background. All of those things affect our thoughts, and our thoughts in turn affect our feelings, okay?
0: Right. So if you you put these together, you can see how different people respond to different things um, in different ways, all the different right. ways. Um, so, you, for example, you you go and you uh, you go to a theme park and you're standing there in front of a roller coaster. You're going to have thoughts, and those thoughts are based upon your experiences and your beliefs and <clears> your <throat> yeah. um, your ideas. Mm-hmm. And you may look at that roller coaster and say that looks exciting, <laughs> um, or you may look at that roller coaster and say that looks scary. That's terrifying. terrifying. Now, you go and get on that roller coaster. And you're going to start having physiological um, emotions. Those emotions are going to start pre-conscious. Okay. Based upon your thoughts, you know, that sort of foundational belief structure that you have, you're going to interpret those emotions in different ways. Right. Now, many times, and this is what we really work on a lot with patients, many times the, the emotions, what you're feeling physiologically, were Many times we're all feeling it exactly the same way. We're all experiencing the same emotion. But based upon our thoughts and beliefs, we're going to interpret those emotions differently. And so we're going to have different feelings. So depending, you know, with different backgrounds, some people are going to interpret those emotions as fear. Right. Others are going to interpret those emotions as excitement.
1: Right. Right.
0: They look at it and they say, Oh, that looks, that looks fun. That looks exciting. Yeah. So they're going to interpret those same emotions, those same, that same physiological process. One was going to interpret it as exciting. The other's going to interpret it as fear. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so that's how the three kind of work together to produce what it is that we, uh, how we describe things and how we think mm-hmm. about different things that happen in our life.
1: Right. Right. Now, where do these things come from? Um, and, and why do we talk about, separating emotions, thoughts, and feelings. Well, the reason is, is because the the brain itself is an incredibly complex organ. I mean, it it just, it exceeds our capacity to really understand it um, because it can do things that machines just can't do Um, and and probably will always be so. But there are a few constants when it comes to the brain. There there are a few things that the brain does routinely. And one of those things is all of these sensory inputs that we're talking about, all the stuff in the environment, it all enters the back of our brain. Mm -hmm. And that's where sensation occurs. We see, we hear, we feel, we touch. All of that comes into the back of our brain. That, those sensations, those things that we see and hear and feel, then pass through the brain because they want to go to the the front of the brain. They wanna go to the farthest most point in the cortex, in the brain, and that's in your, right up, right in your forehead, right, right under your skull. <clears throat> what happens though, is that the journey from the back of your brain to the front of your brain passes through the limbic system. And when those sensations pass through the limbic system, they get emotional value. And so the example I would always use with my classes, if you're walking across the room and you see an electrical cord, you step over it. But if you're walking across the room and you see a cobra, it produces a completely different set of emotions. Okay. So all of our feelings, sensations, all of them are given emotional value as they pass through the brain.
0: That's right. And, and so that's in that, um, that process again, happens, um, pre-cognitive, um, Mm -hmm. much of that happens. So, in your example, if you're walking across and there's a cobra, you you're jumping back and probably running away before you have actually processed in your brain that it's a cobra. Yeah. That right. that limbic structure is, is is such a fascinating region of the brain because it makes that decision for you. Right. As if you don't you don't have a choice. Right. Um, it's almost like a reflex. That's right. In that you don't have, you don't make the decision to run from the bear. You're just running from the bear.
1: Right. Exactly. You're running. Because somewhere in your brain, it said, get out of here. Right. Okay? Quick. So, so as this information passes from the back of the brain through the emotional parts of the brain and to the front of the brain, the brain reacts in one of three ways. If something is life-threatening, if, if your brain decides that you're in danger, if something is life-threatening, the limbic system, the, the emotional structures of the brain, produce a very intense emotional reaction that triggers the fight or flight response. That's what you were talking about with dangerous animals or you know, an object coming in your direction. You know, Somebody throws something at your head right. and you duck, you know, or you hear tires squealing and you jump out of the way. Even before you have a chance to interpret what's going on, um, your brain reacts it's a life-saving mechanism. Okay. Um, We have daughters and I, you know, I want my daughters to have a good fight or flight response. Right. Uh, If they get attacked, I don't want them to wonder about who it is. Just save yourself, get away from it. And that's the first thing that the brain will do. It will save your life. Okay. Right. Now, if the sensation, if the, if what you see or hear or smell or touch is not life-threatening, then the information continues in, in on its way to the frontal lobes. Okay, when it gets there, but but the frontal lobes aren't going to manage everything, right? And so along the way, things that aren't important get deleted. Okay, mm-hmm. if you, if your brain if your brain says <clears throat> that's not important, we don't care about that. That stuff doesn't go to the frontal lobe, but because you'd overwhelm it. Okay. Yeah. But everything else, so that's the second thing that happens is you have, a, you have a, do I want to ignore this? Do I even want this to go to the frontal lobe to think about it? And, and some, some information, it's just not important enough. You know, that, that it doesn't matter. So your brain sort of gets rid of it. it. It's like house cleaning, it gets rid of the clutter. Okay, we don't need to worry about this. So we're not gonna do anything about it. People who can't do that, not people, brains that don't do that. Right create problems for us and that's what we see with adhd Mm -hmm. people with adhd don't have those filters and so everything makes its way to the frontal lobes and you get overwhelmed because there's too much to react to okay and that's what we see in children and adults with adhd they just can't sort it out because there's too much information right and then the third thing is because most of us are not in dangerous situations most of the time right i mean every once in a while we are but 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 day in, day out, most of us don't live in a, unless you live in a war zone or you're living through a hurricane Mm -hmm. or a pandemic, maybe living through a pandemic. Um, But unless you're in real danger, the environmental events that occur um, are kind of the normal ups and downs of daily living. You know, an inconsiderate neighbor, um, a relative, a cranky child, a deadline, a presentation that we have to do. Um, or you have a memory, you know, a, a bad memory of something, you know, you're walking along everything's good. I was telling you this morning that, um, I had a happy, <laughs> there was a time long ago when I had to miss one of these meetings and Bernie to replace me, Bernie <laughs> got, a, got a balloon, <laughs> got a white balloon and drew a face on it. And that was me that day. Okay. And for some reason that popped into my head. And so that was a pleasant memory. Okay. But we can also have unpleasant memories. And they do the same thing.
0: Well, and this is where this is where trauma comes in, and we'll talk more about that later. But um, you know, there are times when, as that as that stimuli enters our brain uh, from what we see or feel or hear around us, um, as that stimuli enters and goes through our brain and through the limbic system, sometimes what is triggered in the limbic system is danger. Because of some traumatic right. events in the past. That's right. And, and so, again, it doesn't get to the prefrontal cortex. So you can make a decision and say, you know what, that was a, that was a, um, you know, that was a balloon popping or a, a right. car flag firing. That wasn't a gunshot. Mm-hmm. I don't have to be afraid of that because, but because mm-hmm. it's, um, it triggers that memory in our, uh, through our limbic system. That's right. The fight or flight response is
1: triggered when it doesn't need to be. That's right because the brain th- th- these limbic structures don't care. <laughs> right. They don't care what it is. Their job is to keep you alive and right. they're going right. to do that regardless of anything else. Right. It doesn't matter. Okay. But most of our memory, most of most of our emotions do go eventually to the frontal lobe because they're not life threatening, okay? Right. So they go to the frontal lobe and when they go to the frontal lobe, the frontal lobe has the job of interpreting what they are. Mm-hmm. What is this feeling? What is this feeling that I have, uh, modulating it, regulating it, you know, is it important or not important? Do I want to deal with it or not? Um, what do I want to do about it and with it? And then finally, uh, the frontal lobe will generate a socially acceptable response, right? Well, this is happening. So I will do this. This is happening. So I will do this. And so the frontal lobes interpret, and that's what we call feelings, Right. Okay, that interpretation is a feeling. Modulation is emotional regulation. Right. We regulate our emotions, and our response is what we say or do in response to our feelings. Okay. Right. Now, but what happens is that with emotional disorders, when when we use the term emotional disorder or emotional disturbance, there's some imbalance between the emotions that are produced. And the ability of the prefrontal cortex to regulate them. Right. Okay. For most of us, about 80% of us, our prefrontal cortex is usually up, we say it's up to the task Mm -hmm. of emotional regulation. Um, Things happen, um, stuff happens in our life, but we have enough emotional regulation to keep fear and anger and anxiety under control. Right. Okay. But 20% of us, or across our lifespan, there's a 20% chance that we're going to get an imbalance. Something's going to happen that causes an imbalance. And about 20% of us have chronic imbalance, all right? So what do we do when things go awry? So we know how the system works. Well, I think that
0: something something important to throw in there, though, is that, um, you know, when... When we're experiencing that, um, when we're having that sort of that imbalance in in that response, we have to remember that our um, our prefrontal cortex sort of has a very small gas tank, right? Right. Um, so when you right. think about when you think about the ability of our brain to perform function, <clears> our, <throat> mm-hmm. every region of our brain requires fuel. Um, the limbic system, the emotional system in our body in our brain. Um, sort of has a bottomless tank it just it keeps works. going and going and going and going it's and, and, a nuclear reactor right and and again it's that's important because even if you're tired you mm-hmm. want your pre your, you want your limbic system to keep you safe so right. you, you know suddenly you, know, you could be exhausted about to pass out but if you see that cobra you're going to suddenly have a ton of energy to get mm-hmm. away you mm-hmm. may pass out afterwards but you're going to you're going to have it plenty of energy to get away. The prefrontal cortex has a, has a very small, relatively speaking, a very small gas tank. And that's why in the evenings, especially we are more irritable. We're we're more frustrated, more easily frustrated. Um, We experience many more emotions um, sometimes incorrectly in the evening um, and at night because we have Mm -hmm. been exercising and using up that fuel all day long. um, And so it's more difficult. And so thinking about kids, Kids work hard all day long, um, they're controlling themselves, they're, they're maintaining their behavior all day long at school, and then they get home and they're having meltdowns and they're having all these difficulties at, in, in the evening at mm-hmm. home. Well, they used up all of their prefrontal cortex fuel at school, Right, right. now they're, they're on empty, and so mm-hmm. their prefrontal cortex can't modulate it as well as it could you know, throughout the school day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's why we see some of that happen in the after you know, evenings and in and, and, and the nights, nighttime. times. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And, and, and so we have to keep in mind this, this idea of balance that really helps if you keep in mind the balance between the emotions that are produced and the ability of the prefrontal cortex to control and regulate, modulate, moderate all, all those feelings. If you didn't have that, if we didn't have that, I mean, that's what differentiates humans from most other species. Because right. the humans have a much larger prefrontal cortex, right. so we can make these decisions. Most animals react on instinct. Right. I mean, they, they just react when they're hungry, when they're sleepy, when they're whatever is produced, uh, they, they just react to whatever is produced. We have this other capacity, and that capacity exists in the prefrontal cortex. It's a decision maker. It's a decider. Right. right. But so you're right, limited amount of fuel. It's right. usually running on fumes, whereas the limbic system is like a nuclear reactor. It's always active.
0: Right. And, and so that leads to where you were going a moment ago, where we get to these times then mm-hmm. when things go awry and they go awry because either the prefrontal cortex doesn't have adequate fuel to right. control it and maintain it. Or when our um, sometimes our limbic system is so sensitive because mm-hmm. of past experiences or, or thoughts, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. we can write the thoughts there, um, those kinds of things. That um, that it's so sensitive that it interprets many more things as important that's than right. are really important. Um, right. Remember, you were saying earlier that our prefrontal cortex can get overwhelmed if too much information is sent to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the problem that we have with with ADHD. For other people, the the um, the limbic system interprets so many things as as important as emotionally charged. Mm-hmm. And sending so much information to the prefrontal cortex that it just can't it's, modulate all of it. It right. can't control all of it. That's right. You get overwhelmed.
1: Right. Yeah, let's, let's take a, you know, you mentioned panic attack uh, a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And that's really a good example of the brain short-circuiting. Because right. what, what happens is, for some reason, either an external trigger or some internal uh, feeling or memory gets triggered. And it, and it starts this cascade, it starts this process all over again. Right. And if the, if the emotion that, it's, that it produces is big enough, is intense enough, right. the frontal lobe can't do anything, and it just, you, you panic, and you go into panic mode, because right. the, you, you overwhelm the, the, uh, the cortex, you right. overwhelm the brain's ability to control it, and for a few minutes, you're out of control. Right. You know, you, you'll come back. Right. But those few minutes can be very scary.
0: Very, very scary, and and the, the the challenge that we don't that we have oftentimes is that we we don't know we don't always know what causes that. Right. Uh, there are there are stimuli from our environment many times that trigger these responses in our mm-hmm. brain that we that we simply have no idea. It could be you know the perfume or, or cologne of somebody walking by, or it could be the sound uh, that somebody made when they mm-hmm. you know were you know, next door or, you know, whatever. Yeah. It could be lots of different things that trigger this and it could be those external things, or it could even be internal things. So if you have a history of abuse, for example, and right. you're, you're experiencing stomach uh, ab- problems in your abdomen or something, it, it could sort of subconsciously um, elicit some of those memories that's going to put you into this heightened state of, of lots of distress and lots of anxiety and, 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 Um, just ill feelings um, as a result of something that you're not even necessarily putting together. You wouldn't necessarily think I have a stomach ache. So it's making, it's triggering these memories from, you know, so long ago. And that's Mm -hmm. why I'm feeling like this. You're not going to necessarily put that together.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. So all of us can experience, and we all probably have experienced that feeling of of being, of our emotions kind of taking over for a while. Mm -hmm. Okay. But as we said earlier, about 20% of people, about 20% of us, experience more chronic emotional difficulties. And that comes in the form of depression, anxiety, fear, uh, people who live in fear, people who are, are generally angry. You know, right. it's just, they're angry and irritable most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, in these cases, emotions have sort of hijacked the brain. There's a famous uh, quote, hijacking the amygdala. But emotions can hijack your brain right. and just take control. And so this, this balance falls apart. And now you have the emotions that are controlling everything. And, and that, as I say, occurs in about 20% of individuals. These are more serious problems. Okay? Right. In these cases, the emotions are so intense that they exceed, they generally, day in, day out, exceed the capacity of the frontal lobe to control them. Or there's something wrong in the frontal lobe right. that, that reduces its capacity. Right. to regulate your emotions. Okay?
0: The, the fuel tank there is even smaller.
1: It's smaller, right. Yeah. You know, or something is awry. You know, um, and there, there's plenty of evidence um, for the last over 100 years mm-hmm. that the frontal lobes are involved in this kind of thing. And if they're not working properly, um, your system is going to get hijacked. Okay? Uh, absolutely. And so, so what do we do? What do we do? So as, as therapists, what we're constantly trying to do is what do we do about the imbalance? Right. That becomes our challenge
0: right and so the, the, the first thing that we really need to do um, and we kind of alluded to this earlier is the first thing we have to do is we have to correctly identify it we have to name correctly name what it is that we're experiencing because because as we said earlier the emotional piece the the physiological piece is going to be the same for most of us you know most of right. us are going to experience a similar physiological um, phenomenon but the way that we name it the way that we identify it the way that we associate the feeling with that emotion Mm -hmm. is, um, is, is important because that's going to help guide the process of correctly being, being able to correctly modulate it.
1: Right. I'll say, I frequently say to parents, they'll say, boy, when she does that, I just want (laughs) to become abusive. You know, Uh, it makes me so angry when she talks to me that way. But as you walk the parent through it, carefully peeling that, say, is it really anger that you're feeling? And, 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 and if, you, if you take it apart, many parents eventually get to, well, no, I'm, my feelings are hurt. Right. You know, uh, I'm, I'm angry because she's treating me in this way, and it hurts my feelings. Right. Well, there's a, you, your reaction to having your feelings hurt is going to be very different from a reaction of being angry, right? And that's why it's so important because if you're just angry, you're probably going to lash out, right? If your feelings are hurt, you're less likely to lash out.
0: Yeah, and you're going you to
1: resolve. Don't turn it into anger. It's not that's not anger you're feeling. Your feelings have been hurt. Right. Deal deal with what's really going on. A- absolutely. Now, once you have
0: been able to correctly name it, and, and mm-hmm. to be honest, as, as you were just saying. You, you sometimes you need someone on the outside to help you with that. Sometimes you That's need right. this or someone to help you walk through that process because it's not it's not always intuitive um, because, you know, you certainly talk to people who no matter what, they always come back to anger.
1: Yeah. I mean,
0: um, and, and it's like you can see clearly that it's, you know, disappointment or um, right. sadness or that your feelings are hurt or, or something, but they always come back to anger. And so it takes a lot of work to do that. But once you've correctly named it, the next thing is to determine whether it's temporary, whether it's episodic, or whether it's a chronic problem. Right. So so when it's temporary, of course, that means that uh, as soon as the crisis is over, yeah. everything mm-hmm. returns to be- to normal and everything is fine. And right. that's the majority of what we experience. Right.
1: A tornado goes through town and right. you're scared to death for 10 minutes and when it's over then your body returns to normal. Right. That's right. temporary. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: But the, the the next is episodic, and that's when we really have to pay attention. And again, you may need a therapist or someone to help you with this. But that's when the the same um, feelings, emotions, and feelings recur um, at a somewhat at a predictable, sometimes a predictable <laughs> right. time mm-hmm. or place. Um, sometimes you don't always know what the trigger is, but you know this is when we get into sort of different phobias or something right. when, uh, like a um, or panic attacks. You know, I'm not sure what triggers it, but every time I walk down, you know, aisle seven of the grocery store, mm-hmm. I get really anxious. Right. OK, so yeah. that's episodic. So we know that it happens periodically and, and it's a problem.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. And the other thing that happens is that I just noticed that it's daylight.
0: Yeah, it's getting too yeah.
1: daylight. <laughs> it's right now. I don't know what to do. Um, yeah, the other thing about episodic is you you frequently have college students, or well, anybody. It could be college students, it could be kids, it could be adults who come in and say, you know, I, I'm just I'm always. It's not that they're always anxious, but anxiety keeps occurring. Right. Different things, but but they're always they always end up being anxious. Oh. Or some people always they have recurring anger. You know they're angry with their children. They're angry with their spouse. They're angry with coworkers. They're angry that the car doesn't work. Everything gets turned into anger, and there's this recurring theme in their life. Okay, that's what we mean by episodic. It's right. the same the same um, feeling gets triggered by whatever event is occurring. I'm always angry. You know, Dad's always angry. Mom's always mom's always sad. Your mom's always depressed, and so episodic problems um, are probably worth addressing well, right. with a professional. Okay. But certainly, chronic problems. Absolutely. You know, when when you're so depressed, when you're so anxious, that it really starts to impair your life um, day in, day out, then you really have to do something about it. And that may, a, that may be a different kind of problem. Still the same still the same brain. It's just that now the emotions have taken over, and they've really uh, completely overwhelmed the whole system. Right.
0: So of the three, the, the temporary, episodic, or chronic, you know, with episodic and chronic, we certainly want to... In, would want to encourage you to, you know, get some support and some help to, to deal with those. Right. Temporary is again, it's, it's very common. I mean, that's what the way that we all experience it. Um, but you may need some support with temporary issues simply because, you know, if your response to those temporary things are is so extreme, so excessive that right. it creates other problems. And so you may need to get some help there, but, right. uh, and the, but the last part is to determine whether it is, Limbic, a problem in the limbic system or a problem in the cortical system, um, the the prefrontal cortex. And and that is, um, you know, are you are you producing too much emotion? Like, is it so much emotion that it's exaggerated for the for the given problem or the given Mm -hmm. situation? Or is it or are the emotions and feeling are the emotions sufficient or appropriate? But you're just applying too much, um, too many feelings to it, too stronger feelings to it. Um, and that would make it more of a cortical
1: issue. That's right, because if it's limbic, as we said earlier, it's kind of subconscious. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's coming from places that we don't control consciously. Right. If it's cortical, it's that those are feelings; those are things we are doing at a conscious level. Okay. And so, um, one of the writers that you and I are reading her book right now, the Beyond Behavior. Right. Um, and she and she says, "Is it a?" If it's a limbic problem, she says, that's bottom up. That's coming from the bottom of your brain, coming up to the cortex. Or it might be that you can't regulate or you can't name properly. And that's a top-down problem. Okay. And so what, what she argues is that if the problem is a top-down problem, then you might be able to change your feelings by changing your thoughts. Right. Okay? But if it's a bottom-up problem, that may not work because it's not a conscious issue. It's below your consciousness. Okay? And when we talk about children, where this happens with children is that parents will come in and they'll say, well, re- uh, I've tried rewarding and punishing. It doesn't work. Right. Well, the reason it doesn't work is because if you do a reward and punish system, you're, you're counting on the child remembering that if they do this thing, they're going to get in trouble. Right. That's cortical. That's top down. That's I'm thinking about it. Frequently children have bottom up problems. They come from someplace else and they're not going to respond to reward and punish because they're not thinking about it. It's beyond their capacity to think about it.
0: Right. And just a, just a, a simple example, perhaps of, of what we mean by the limbic system is producing too much emotion is, um, and this is a, maybe a silly example, but if you think of a person who maybe is afraid of snakes, um, being afraid of snakes is a, a normal, natural mm-hmm. human condition. Mm-hmm. However, if, if the person you know goes into fight or flight, if there's a string on the floor, or every time they see um, any any long slender, um, yeah. you know, a, a pencil or a pen or a um, a string or some wire, or, mm-hmm. if if, it, if that produces a fear. Um, or panic attack every time they see that because their brain is interpreting it as a snake. That's probably a limbic system issue. That's not a a cortical issue um, because they're producing that is producing that fear before they really even process because there's nothing wrong with the string. Um, But that's where the brain is producing too much emotion um, Mm -hmm. for the stimuli. That's that's
1: there. Yeah. When we talk about people who have irrational fears, that's right. what we're talking about, that the fears are, are way beyond right. what they really should be, which means the limbic system is producing too much emotion, right. okay, uh, even before you get a chance to interpret it. Okay? Right. And yes. so we have to be mindful of this top of, of whether it's a thinking problem or if it's, a, it's an emotion problem, okay? The other thing about our thoughts and using our thoughts to change things is we have to remember that our thoughts have been shaped over many, many years, even if you're a young child, you've had 10 years worth of thoughts. <laughs> so, sure. I mean, even if you're little, so, but if you're an adult, you've had 20 or 30 or 40 years yeah. of thinking of, of uh, your, your thoughts have a history, right? And if you have a 20 year history of thinking a certain way, it's no easy task to, to change that. I mean, that, that's not easy to change. You're right. talking about 20 year habit. This right. is what I've been doing for 20 years. And now I'm seeing a therapist and he's, well, just change your thoughts. It's not that easy. Right. Right. And so um, so if you've been thinking about something for two or three decades or, or even longer than two or three decades, it may be uh, difficult to change those thoughts. So um, you can do it, but it's probably going to take a lot of work and, and right. some considerable time. Okay.
0: Absolutely. So, and, and as you said, that goes for adults and children a lot. Right. That's, it's mm-hmm. a really difficult thing. So, you know, again, as you go through this process and you're wanting to work on some of these things, the, the things that we have to really focus on is what is the emotion? Right. Um, Name it. What is the emotion? Name it correctly. Identify the correct feeling that should be associated with it. And then identify what's creating the problem that you're having. Whether, is yeah, it where's, Right.
1: Where's is it coming it? from? You know, why, why is this happening to me? Why, why am I, why do I get angry all the time? What, why anger, right? No, not you're angry. Let's do this, but rather why anger, right? Okay. That's the important um, therapeutic question is don't, don't say, well, you're anxious. So let's do this. You're anxious. So let's throw medicine at, you know, we, we talk about this all the time. You're anxious. So let's give you some medication to end your anxiety. Well, wait a minute. What is it really? First of all, is it anxiety? Right. Is that what you're really feeling? Remember the emotion wheel? Yeah. You know, there's 320 uh, fe- um, feeling wheel. There's 320 feelings that you can produce. So, first of all, is it really anxiety? And second, why anxiety? Right. What, what, what is it about you, your thinking or your feeling or your life experiences mm-hmm. that create this particular feeling? If First of all, is it accurate? Second, what's producing it?
0: Right. And when we have problems, when when we have a problem with this, um, you know, it plays out whether we have, you know, when you're talking about people with ADHD or PTSD or, you know, panic attacks and, you know, autism and, you know, just about every mental health condition that you can consider.
1: Right.
0: There is some dysregulation between the emotions and the feelings and the thoughts. That's right. And, And so, you know, working through that process to figure out, you know, what the issue really is and where, where the, um, the mishap is, so that you can address and, and focus intervention and treatment in the right place, is going to right. be critical.
1: Right. You yeah, know, we talk about these disorders like ADHD or PTSD, even autism, um, reactive, all of these things in one way or another relate to this imbalance. You know, you take like uh, autism. What is it about autism? Well, people with autism either don't see, they don't interpret the events accurately. Mm-hmm. They either miss them altogether or they misinterpret them. Okay. And right. so the problem occurs at, at the interpretation level, that's subcortical. Right. Well, what, you know, the, the,
0: the great comparison, I think is, um, ADHD, ADHD. Is, cortical. is cortical. That's your, your, your frontal lobe isn't sufficient to, to modulate the emotions that are coming through. Right. ESD and panic attacks. That's emotional. That's going to be right. limbic that's, issue. Right. And so that's, even with these conditions, you can see one has the issue in the cortical system. The other has the issue in the limbic system. And so your treatment for those things are going to be very different mm-hmm. um, at home, at school, you know, in, in, right. in, your daily life, it's going to be different right. depending on where it's coming
1: from. And that's why, that's why um, therapeutic approach to therapeutic interventions don't always it's like people say well let's use cognitive behavioral therapy or let's use dialectical behavioral therapy those are wonderful approaches if you use them for the right problem right okay the, you you just can't you don't pick up a tool to solve a problem you don't pick up CBT and say well I w- I want this you know the, let's use CBT well let's use CBT if it's a if it's a top down problem right you know if we have to change thinking but CBT isn't going to work if it's a panic, if it's a bottom-up problem. Right. It may work, but it's going to take a long, long time, and you're going to have to do other things.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So we, it got, all goes back to we have to correctly identify it.
1: That's right. begins with that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. As Dr. Silver said. That's right. Begin you with the it. diagnosis. Got to get the diagnosis right. That's right.
0: So. All right. All right. Well, I think that's it for today. Uh, the sun's up, and it's time to uh, get to work. So... Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right oh that's something to look forward to yes so. that's but, exactly what's going to happen too now we have to go back to work that's right Okay. All right. so that's it for today until next time stay happy stay healthy and forget to be afraid